Welcome to Executive Tools, the Executive S-Curve, Chapter 1, From Yes to No, Part 2. This cast answers these questions. How do I manage my workload as an executive? How can I protect my priorities as an executive? What can I do about feeling like there's too much to do? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Okay, so now now explain, I think, the thing that got people really excited is they get to say no. Yeah. Right? Transition from yesterday. <laughs> right. So it's explain not that. that easy. It's not that easy, as you and I know. What's interesting about that is it's not that easy, but it's necessary. It's yeah, a part right. of the discontinuity. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. I, I'm making fun of it, but it, it, is, yeah. it, it is incredibly hard. <laughs> yeah, you spend 10 years as a manager, you learn how to say yes, you learn how to constantly pile more on your shoulders never really learning delegation for the most part. And then suddenly you're supposed to say no. No, it it crushes people. So on a regular basis. Yeah, exactly. When you're a manager, you're in the middle of the organization. You're a leader. This is why we don't talk about leadership at manager tools, because all we do is argue about vocabulary. It's like going to a meeting where uh, we're going to talk about the corporate mission statement. And there are people that actually get excited about that. Like, yeah, no, not really. Anyway, so you're a leader, but that's attenuated when you're a manager by a lot of leaders above you. So it doesn't really feel like you're a leader, a singular leader. Let's put it that way. Executives, though, drive the organization toward customers, towards profits, and we don't apologize for profits, and toward the future. And managers keep it running day to day. Executives tend to think long-term or are supposed to, and managers tend to think short-term. Now, the vast majority of managers, 90 plus percent of managers are thinking week to week. And in fact, if executives were doing their jobs better, those managers would be thinking three to six months to a year. But that's beside the point. What that means is that most managers learn, and we believe, Mike, chime in if you disagree, we believe this is largely correct, that when work flows down from above to us, we're obligated to say yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. Right. That's that's how we act. That's how we feel, right? Yeah. Somebody above us who outranks us, not that there's rank, has decided what's necessary and and we take action. That's we think of ourselves as a cog, a very important cog, a bigger cog than an individual contributor, but nevertheless a cog in the system. And somebody else is turning the crank. Frankly, this is one of the many reasons why I've joked about that the manager's patron saint ought to be Sisyphus. Uh, he's the mythological Greek king. I used to know the name of the, it used to be, I think it's Corinth. Uh, Cor- he was the king of Corinth who angered the gods. He actually cheated death, I think, more than once. And as his punishment after he escaped from Hades, I think twice, not kidding, smooth talker, this guy, the gods fated him to spend all eternity rolling a rock up a hill only to have it roll back to the bottom as he neared the summit every time. He basically, in the modern vernacular, we would say he stands for tasks that are laborious and futile. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think interesting that another thing that compounds this, and this, folks, this is all relative, right? I'm not, this is not an absolute, but as a manager compared, as compared to an executive, your workload, your requirements come from generally your boss it they yeah. literally roll downhill that's great as yeah. an executive that's not true your requ- the requirements yeah. you're getting are being levied by your peers and other people across the organization 
one of the reasons why it's so hard to say no, because you have to collaborate with them. Yeah. I think that's a great point. You just assume, right? And then you get up there and you realize, no, you're you're the, what's the word at the start of a, a, a great river? There's actually a place in America you can go and it's the spring headwater. You're the headwater. And then everything else flows down into the river. Yeah. There's actually a spring somewhere. I want to say it's in Minnesota, lovely place. And you can go to the spring, the headwater, what is regarded the headwater of the Mississippi River, hmm. which is a pretty significant river among all the world's rivers. Um, now, look, this is a good time for a reminder here. Executives, please be aware of the workload of the managers and your part of the organization. I promise you, you may have forgotten when you get promoted. You may be dealing with the new responsibilities and purview and authority you have, but don't forget, write yourself a note to open in five years when you're a manager, which says, don't forget how often we complained about the stuff that would come down that we had to do that didn't connect in any way, shape, or form to the things we were asked to do day-to-day, week-to-week that we got in trouble if we didn't do. You've got to be aware of that. Managers in your part of the organization often have to answer to many other executives' diktats. There are far too many executives, many of them with misapplied C-suite titles, who demand reporting or support or volunteers for initiatives that eat up your management manager's time. That's time and attention and labor taken away from your priorities. And that makes your managers feel like Sisyphus. They're never going to get there. So be willing to defend your people. Don't make them a click. We're not asking you that. We're asking you to be politically savvy about which things get through. But periodically, you might want to do what amounts to a Drucker time analysis with some of your managers and essentially cut out the deadwood. Stop working on that. Stop working on that. If somebody comes to you, come talk to me, right? And I'll defend you because you don't have time to do these 13 other small things, all of which have executive credentials attached to them, but aren't related to the core thing you're supposed to do. Yeah. It reminds me of being in the Middle East and sitting down with Karen Adams and watching her do that with her drags. Oh, oh. Quite brilliantly, I might add. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, nope, not to it. Nope, 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 yeah. nope, yeah. So the manager, like we said, is deluged with tax and taskings. He feel he has to say yes. He usually does. But the executive does not have to. You're the creator of taskings. In fact, not only do you not have to, you ought not to as an executive. It is the executive's job to lead and not to follow. It is the manager's job to follow, at least not necessarily the executive, but the organization. And I hate to quote a French king, l'état c'est moi. I'm horrible in French, but it means I am the state, meaning the king. And that's executives are the organization. You are the embodiment of the brain and heart of the organization. And look, I'm going to say this a different way that might be helpful to you executives who may not have made the transition, haven't jumped on that new S-curve. Executives create pressure. Managers respond to that pressure. If you're looking as an executive to respond to pressures, you misunderstand your job. You're now in the business of creating the pressure. Now, look, I'm not saying that executives overload, some executive overloads her organization. No, the executive understands her role as the translator of the outside world 
of customers, competitors, and the myriad forces aligned for and against the organization and the strategies and its plans. And the executive creates pressure to focus her organization. She says no, or maybe doesn't say no, but simply doesn't respond to and lets die a slow, painful death through inattention, the many requests for time and attention that pull her and her organization away from the massive amount of work required to achieve her division or her directorate's own mission. Now, I'm not saying the executive operates alone. Mike, you you alluded to this earlier. She doesn't. The executive doesn't operate alone. Nothing happens singularly at the top of organizations. We've said this before. I actually really like this quote. And then Wendy reminds me, well, you would. It's yours. (laughs) But when a manager looks up at the top of his organization, what he calls politics, the executives up there that he's looking at, call collaboration. Politics are only relationship effects necessary in all human organizations. And we've said this before, too, and you manager tools listeners will get sick of me hearing it. But if you want a job in an organization without politics, die. That's how you'll find it. Well, how do you decide what to say no to? So what's interesting about this, I don't feel like I've conveyed it quite well enough. I needed another six hours to make a more, more complete case for this, a more definitive case for it. But essentially what this does, we're basically giving you a derivation of how people work and behave and have careers and grow in organizations. The inevitable outcome of all of this, and you know this, in fact, I have several stories about choices you made when you were running your organization at MCI, where it was really clear, okay, Mike's a high D and a high C, so Mike said, okay, here's what we're doing. And people are looking like, oh, we can't do that. No, we're doing it. <laughs> and I think about trouble tickets is one that comes to mind, but, right, but right. there are many others who are like, no. We're not doing that anymore. Well, wait, we've put a whole bunch. Yeah, I know. You put a whole bunch of time into it, and it's not getting us where we want to go, right? Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Same thing with things that aren't aligned with the mission. You decided you had a vision for what your organization was going to be, and you pruned and paired and stopped and killed and uh, cut budget for things that weren't along your path. And you, you did it. Folks, we haven't talked as much about Mike's career as we should have over the years, but you did it, and you didn't even you didn't even blink. Yeah, it's well, like I'm pretty high D, obvious, right? It's like, well, I'm a high D and high C, and I convinced myself that I was right, so I'm right. Yeah, oh, right. The, and therefore, the high D and therefore, high I can C. exert my high D. The high easily. D, high C, who has done the work and believes they're right, and then turns on the high D, stay out of the way, folks, because they're oh, yeah. bulldozer. Yeah, and yeah. God help you if you're wrong, because yeah. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. will make a fool oh, yeah. yourself. <laughs> Which has happened. <laughs> Mike, I believe you just hit on something, which is not in the show notes. So, folks, pay attention here. You said, God help you if you're wrong. That feeling, God help me if I'm wrong, causes a lot of newly named executives or even mid-level executives to be fearful of being wrong. Because if you're an executive and you get something wrong, the implications are fairly significant and you're probably going to be asked to resign, quote, to pursue other opportunities. You'll be given a financial kiss on the cheek, and then you'll be goodbye. Bye-bye. Okay, session. But what it causes, what that cliff causes, that career cliff causes, people say, well, I don't want to choose. They, they stay super managers, right? They stay 
in the receiving mode that's rather right. than the creating right. mode, rather than in the in the pressure mode as opposed to the receiving. Yeah. And mode. they'll never. And what we're talking about is we haven't said the word yet, but priorities, right? I mean, it all comes down to priorities Dude. and the 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 fear of being wrong prevents yeah. you from creating choosing. priorities. Right? Choosing exactly that's what priorities are. Choosing. In fact, I have a friend who's a, who's a, a more of a word guy than me. He says, "Mark, you use the word priorities." It's like saying something is very unique. You don't need to say very in front of unique. Unique means one. Priority is one, right? <laughs> We've watered our world down enough where we can get away with saying priorities. But you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and managers just don't want to choose. And so they go on doing manager-like things for fear of being wrong. The problem is you're going to stagnate too. You might, you might end up having to stay in your, you might get to stay in your job for a couple more years, but at some point you're going to take a step back or change companies. And if you go to a much smaller company, they'll probably give in more authority. And then you might do poorly there because you have never embraced the new S curve you were on, where you are the person who's supposed to set the priority, not receive the priority, but set the priority and then drive that priority through the organization. And we could spend hours and we'll do podcasts in the future about driving things through your organization. Yeah. This is why people, and for those who don't, who are not strong of ego, it drives them, they're smart. They don't have a yeah. huge ego. It just drives them crazy, which is why when I look up, why are all these people have such huge egos? And it's yeah. just like, well, yeah, that's what allows them to make those yeah. decisions. At least they think they're right. They may be wrong, but they think they're right. And yeah. sometimes moving forward at full speed on something that's not exactly perfect, you know, Gets you close enough, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I've said before that we need more high C's as executives because the high C is the most common person, the the analytical perfectionist, uh, logical, linear, rational person says, well, I go to these meetings and they have an hour and we're supposed to make this billion dollar decision and I need more information. Yeah, you're not going to get it. Yeah. Well, I need it. Yeah, well, too bad. Okay, so sit there quietly. Unfortunately, then I also tell them, you do understand that the way it works is if you're sitting at the table, the cost of sitting at the table is not your title. It is a certain behavior. And the behavior is questions and answers. You must be willing to speak. You cannot continue to be sitting at an executive table unless you're the power behind the throne or the general counsel and everything is above board. You can't sit there and not speak. You have to speak up. You have to say yes or no. You have to choose. It is this particular purview of the executive. And if you don't have enough information, the organization, your customers, your competitors, the marketplace, the government, the environment doesn't care. And so we, we need more high Cs who can transition, who can sort of channel their D or, or their high I for that matter. Yeah, Although that's, use, that's a bit of a Maybe use discipline stretch. to get there. I don't know. I've heard that's important. <laughs> you can do that. You can do I've heard that somewhere. And what do we talk about? Define your role. What does the organization demand of your role? And forget about what you want, what you need, what you like, what you care about, and focus on what the organization demands of your role. If you're not willing to do that, you're not willing to embrace the fundamental being, if you will, the state of being of being an executive. And the way the being gets translated month to month, quarter to quarter is creating priorities, is choosing. And, and so when we say going from yes to no, that is a function of identifying what you're willing to say yes to and what you're willing to say no to, as opposed to just accepting somebody else's yes, or for that matter, not realizing you're also accepting their no. Most managers' inability to set and maintain priorities is due 
to the whipsaw of taskings and efforts unrelated or maybe only tangential to his or her own priorities. You're just deluged and you cannot continue that as an executive or it will be compounded to the nth degree among your managers and your part of the organization. And, and if it happens often enough where managers set priorities and are not allowed to work on them, pretty soon they learn not to set priorities. And the moment I say that, I mentioned that to somebody else and the guy went, oh my gosh, I've met thousands of managers like that, right? <laughs> yeah. They had priorities. Their boss said, figure out where your priorities are. And then they got deluged with stuff from executives and the managers don't feel they can say no. And the executives didn't actually focus them. The executives created the wrong kind of pressure, sort of an unrelenting 360 degree pressure rather than a narrow focused pressure on the one thing that we care about. We can get in trouble for everything else, but we're not going to get in trouble about this. As Napoleon would teach us, mass at the point of decision. Napoleon's lost many, many battles, almost, at the points that didn't matter. But at the one point that did matter, he won. And it is your job as an executive, as Napoleon, as the general of your part of the organization, you have to decide what the critical fulcrum, what the, what the decisive point on the battlefield is, and you have to put your forces there with maximum effort in order to achieve it. That is essentially what a priority is. Yeah. I, you know, I think I'm probably bludging this thing to death, but you make a really good point or implied a point, I think, which is saying no is very different than not putting focus on something, oh. right? Right. There's a big difference between, well, I'm just going to emphasize these, my priority. Right. I'm emphasize yeah. the, these three emphasize. priorities That's and good. I'm not going to worry about, I, I'm going to let them get away with us. Well, guess what folks? They're still doing the work, right? It's yeah. like, no, say no, stop work on that. <laughs> right. Yeah. In fact, I, we've talked about this. We've made this case so much. We've never actually probably said it this way. There's plenty of productivity available in your department, in your division, in your sub-organization. You just have to capture it. And what that's is right. that? That's right. Tell people to stop working on other things yeah, but, but, and work but, on the things yeah. that matter. But, 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 that's good. That's free. I like that, Mike. But, 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 but. Yeah. But there's risk. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it's mine. Yeah. And when there's a problem, <laughs> there come talk. tell those people to come talk to me. And inevitably, it's some manager that feels the risk and says, I, you know, I, I got I to gotta satisfy these four or five other people. And it's a director or a senior director that he or she fears. Well, when your VP says, no, we're not doing that, send them to me. Inevitably, what happens is the senior director finds out that the VP told his manager five levels down, we're not doing X, and he never goes and talks to the VP. He likes the fact the senior director, even though he's not in the chain of command of that manager who works for Ozan, when Ozan tells him don't do that, and Ozan's a VP, when the senior director finds out it was Ozan, the senior director never goes and talks to Mike. Never. He wants to use his role power on Horseman, the lowly manager, and Horseman's reasonably scared for good reason. This guy has power. But your priority, when Ozan chooses the right priority, and then he drives it through the organization, and you have to choose before you can drive, and then you have to measure. When I say drive, every time I say drive, I want you to think measure. And then you have to report, you have to publicize, you have to communicate about those things. If you do that, a lot of the productivity of your organization will be improved because they will be working on the right things. Not all work is productive work. Yeah. 
And, and look, there are times when managers feel so Sisyphean in their tasks, they basically start bragging about keeping their head above water. Some of that is the manager's, you know, legitimately in over his head. He doesn't know he's been in the job for a year or two. But a manager who's been in his job for 15 years, they have reached far beyond the limit of what any reasonable organization could expect you to be on your learning curve. So this job should be as easy for you as it's ever going to be. If that manager is still barely keeping his head above the water, I want to look upstream. I want to look at the headwaters. I want to look at the executive and say, what do you have this guy doing? In fact, I'm talking to a client right now about that very thing. Incredibly busy frontline managers. And they're just dealing with uh, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, just all kinds of people shooting at them. And nobody seems to say, no, no, no. And that's the executive's job. And if you don't learn that part of the S-curve switch from manager to an executive, you will forever be thwarted in your organization, your part of the organization's efforts, and you will not be seen as an effective executive. You're in a new role. You're on a new S-curve. The discontinuity lesson, this part of it anyway, there's 50 more. That's why we call this chapter one. Uh, is putting into place your priorities for your part of the organization and then using those priorities as a filter. The executive who does this actually builds an important shield. It's a partial shield. It's not a complete shield, but it's still important for his or her managers. He or she drives effort on their priorities, and they don't ask for reports on everything else. In fact, if you're a manager... Pay attention to the reporting your bosses are asking you for. And by the way, if a report doesn't go to your boss, it goes to some other boss, you might want to talk to your boss about, hey, did you know I'm doing this? Because she's busy. She may not know. Why are you doing that? Well, because the reason I'm reporting on it is because I'm working on it. Well, why are you working on it? Because of this thing six months ago before you were here, we were doing this thing. Yeah, no, stop that. I'll go talk to them. A lost executive is often identified by overburdened, yet at the same time, underperforming managers. And without priorities, you're lost as an executive. That's it. Yeah, this is great. God, there's, yeah, we could talk. There's yeah. so much more to ah. talk about. So much more to talk about. I know. So let me summarize. Becoming executive, folks, is a state change. It's not a step change. It is the acceptance of a new S-curve, whether you realize it or not. Regardless of what his or her priorities are, and they may not be right, but they must exist, even if he has not learned how to set them, he must enforce them, probably too strong a word, he must focus them, he must drive them, he must push them, he must measure them, he must demand reporting on them down through the organization. And this makes it easier and empowers, word I don't like, but it makes it easier for the organization that he or she runs to make their own decisions about their priorities. Excellent. Thank you, my friend. I hope it comes across when we're talking about this stuff because we really, that we really like it. <laughs> we do. <laughs> they do. Yeah, cause, cause, well, at least speaking for me, because I've yeah. struggled with the same stuff in the past. Oh, so, yeah. Go. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? Yeah. And they tell you all this stuff. Well, you've got this and you've got this. Okay. Great. I don't feel that way, right? Because I'm still on my old S-curve. Cool. All right. Thanks, my friend. Take care, everybody. 